Hello and welcome to the. Doug's fixing his mic. Cut me off Wel- guard. Welcome to the intro of the Night Sims podcast. This is the first intro in a while, or I don't know what the podcast has been on. Yeah, uh, we're doing it so, before. You know, I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the podcast, do you ever wish that you did the podcast with someone else? No, because I couldn't think of doing a podcast with anyone else. Well, I don't feel that way. <laughs> I knew but it. But I'm glad that you feel that way. I so, mean, it, it has to, someone has to. So thank you for sharing. Someone has to be a good human being. Yeah, that's kind of bullshit. On with the podcast. How? How? Welcome back to Night Swims, a podcast hosted by two idiots who think they know everything about mysteries, conspiracies, and strange phenomena. I am your host, Douglas, and as always, I'm here with co-host Jackson Houston. There it is. And uh, we are 15 seconds in already, and yeah, aren't you excited? Yeah, I'm pumped. We, uh, we're back after another broken promise of posting on Friday. We should probably just stop doing that. This... this it's if, June first. I don't like holding this mic. I know it's weird. It's weird. Well, your mom is in here. Let's just screw up the table. No, <laughs> it's a horrible idea. Hey, don't tell her I said that. But <clears throat> we're. This is really weird. I've had to do that for the past two. So I don't know where can, to hold it. You can. You can push through. But uh, this is. Uh, I don't like it. But uh, before the, <laughs> we started recording, you um. You mentioned that you had something to talk about real quick. Yes. Uh, As do I. Okay. You you, oh, you want me to start? Yes, All right. Course. So I was, me, my, my girlfriend, Mary Ashley, and Dawson were hanging out at his house. It was before one of our band practices. And um, we were watching YouTube. And we weren't watching this, but he said, uh, you know, Douglas, instead of doing a podcast, you and Jackson should just do ASMR. And so I was like... You know, we could make some really funny ASMR. What do you think? I hate ASMR. I do too, but I'm not doing it makes ASMR. me feel uncomfortable. But I watched the that um, Cody Co video last night where the girl's eating deodorant yeah, and stuff. I, I, <laughs> I don't want to do ASMR. <laughs> like she's doing this, it's like. And she's doing stuff like this, like, like tapping stuff. I was like, what's the point of this? Like, what? Why do people get a kick out of ASMR? That's a conspiracy theory in itself. I don't know. What if the government is using ASMR to mind control people? That's a... I think, I think that's the most plausible theory. We've autonomous sensory murder. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, them being... Uh, an experience characterized by static-like or tingling sensation of the skin that typically begins somewhere on the scalp and moves down the back of the neck and to the upper spine. You know, it's also you know you have comparisons. Oh, so people with actually auditory tactile synesthesia and may overlap. Hold on, what is that word? What, what was that word again? Auditory tactile synesthesia. What does that mean? Uh. That is when certain sounds can induce sensations in parts of the body. For example, okay. someone with auditory tactile synesthesia may experience 
that hearing a specific word feels like touch in one specific part of the body or may experience that certain sounds can create a sensation in the skin without being touched. It is one of the least common forms of synesthesia. Wow. Mm-hmm. ASMR. And, you know, off the top of my head, uh, it signifies the subjective experience of low-grade euphoria <laughs> characterized by a combination of positive feelings, a distinct static-like tingling sensation of the skin. It is most commonly triggered by specific auditory or visual stimuli and less commonly by intentional attention control. An intentional attention And if you're wondering, the name, uh, prior to social consensus that led to what is now the ubiquitous adoption of the term, other names were proposed and discussed at a former... At <laughs> oh, you couldn't do Damn it. it. <laughs> I almost had it. But yeah... Fuck ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> now for my side. Now people really know what it is. A couple days ago, I had my craziest and most detailed dream ever. <laughs> Almost lucid-like. Really? And I, Were you flying? I sent it in text to my girlfriend. And what I then was, was I copy and pasted uh, <clears throat> uh, all the text to recite this the dream as best I could. So. I thought you meant you put it in like something on your laptop so that the computer would read it. No. I thought that'd be I think that'd be funny. No, that would be funny. I actually Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. We'll be right back. We started school and I had missed every single class in the first week and I had like four extra classes and some of them were named weird things like redoing Batman, DC versus Marvel. Deadpool as a whole, English facts and history, badminton, and I had classes Monday to Saturday and on Wednesday I went from 8 to 8 oh, and on top of that, I suddenly got investigated for murder of a controversial employee at the college, not South, and I'm getting interviewed and they start telling me things that only Save could have known. But I played it off very cool and I don't think they'll prosecute me oh and I could slightly fly. So that was my dream. Huh. So the rest of it went... That, um, that is very vivid. Yeah, I wrote more down on my phone, and it was... Uh, then I started, like... Then suddenly, I, th- I flew naked once, and then I couldn't find my clothes. So then me and a guy I didn't recognize went... So you were you dreamed about you being naked with no, a guy. No. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> no. Okay. Like, I think I, I know what's I going on I used leaves to cover myself. Like, I, I, I made myself a leave... Oh, I just remembered this. I made myself. A- so you're Adam from the Bible. No. Okay. And we went to this random house to find it. And we, we had guns that shot sticks at people. It was really weird. And we were like, we went to this weird house suddenly. And there was a bunch of treadmills in the living room. And then over to the side was Matthew McConaughey just in a bath. Just sitting there. And I found my clothes. And like, that was the dream. And it got really weird. So that was my dream. Uh, but I don't think we should spare any more on the topic. Spare any more. <laughs> so the topic. So, okay, so here's the gist. Yeah, Jackson so, was. No, no, I want to explain it because it's my fault. I, uh, but I no, I want to. I want to. I'm trying to hear give you the gist of your dream. Oh, okay. So no, no, they know the dream. They don't need any summary <laughs> or look into it. Okay, dreams over. 
That was my dream. Jackson was naked with a dude. Shut up. Shooting sticks. No. (laughs) So, but I have a confession. We have a confession. We are. You have a confession. So the topic I looked up today, you can't find a whole lot. And I, you can't find a whole lot on the. Don't try and save yourself. Okay. So the topic I did, (laughs) I looked up an article about it because it's all you can find is articles about it. And we read it. We read the whole thing. It was, and uh, we tried to look up more. And then I found an article that goes way more in depth and is way longer. And I think is a better article for the podcast. So he discovered that looking for more stuff to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so we're redoing the topic. Which he did find more stuff to talk about. Yes. Doug knows the topic. What? I do. Shut up. No, I don't know. Yes, we we're re-recording. We literally just spent probably. 20 minutes on the topic, but I found a way more thing, so we're redoing it all. So he knows the topic, but y'all don't, and it, it is called The Watcher House. The Watcher House. Okay, so the article that I found is on a website called thecut.com, and if you type in uh, The Watcher House, it is, at least today, it is the third article that pops up. The article is titled The Haunting of 657 Bo- Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. All right, I don't know why it's called The Haunting. So here, so I'm just gonna read the article because, for I feel like for this topic, that's the the best way to learn about it, I guess, because that's the only way that you can find out about this topic. Because there's literally like, by reading no, about it, there's no like summaries that like goes into like everything. It's literally just articles that you find. So I felt that we could just read the article as if the audience discovered on their own and they read the whole article. I think that's a, a cool way to do it. So, um, essentially, so the article is by a guy named Reeves Weedman. So everything I read is going to be, if he goes in first person, it's going to be in the perspective of this guy named Reeves, who works at thecut.com. So one night on, in June 2014, Derek Broadus had just finished an evening of painting at his new home in Westfield, New Jersey, when he went outside to check the mail. Derek and his wife, Maria, had closed on the six-bedroom house at 657 Boulevard three days earlier and were doing some renovations before they moved in, so there wasn't much in the mail except a few bills and a white card-shaped envelope. It was addressed in thick, clunky handwriting to the new owner, and the typed note inside began warmly, Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. For the Broadduses, buying 657 Boulevard had fulfilled a dream. Maria was raised in Westfield, and the house was a few blocks from her childhood home. Dare grew up working class in Maine, then moved up his, his way up the ladder at an insurance company in Manhattan to become a senior vice president with a salary large enough to afford the $1.3 million house. The Broadduses had bought 67 Boulevard just after Derek celebrated his 40th birthday, and their three kids were already debating which of the house's fireplaces Santa Claus would be using. But as Derek kept reading the letter from his new neighbor, it took a turn. How did you end up here? The writer asked. Did 657 Boulevard call you to it? Call to you with its force within? The letter went on. 657 Boulevard had been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of my watching and waitings for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 67 Boulevard? Why are you here? 
I will find out. The author's reconnaissance had apparently already begun. The letter identified the Broadus' Honda minivan as well as the workers' renovating in the helm. I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be, as it was supposed to be, the person wrote. Tisk tisk kisk. Bad move. You don't want to make the house unhappy. Earlier in the week, Derek and Maria had gone to the house and chatted with their new neighbors while their children, who were 5, 8, and 10, ran around the backyard with several kids in the neighborhood. The letter, the letter author seemed to have noticed. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted, the anonymous correspondent wrote, before asking if there were more on the way. Do you need to fill the house with young blood, I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their ma names, I will call to them and draw them to me. The envelope had no return address. Who am I, the person wrote. There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from the house. Maybe I am in one. Look out of the many windows in the house at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. The letter concluded with a suggestion that, that this message would not be the last. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin, followed by a signature typed in a cursive font, The Watcher. Ooh. So already... It's getting right into I'm it. I'm getting chills. Yeah. This, this, this is a way better thing than what we Chills for the, for the first time slash the second time. Yeah. I didn't get chills last time. It was after 10 I want to know what's in the walls, though. Yeah. What he meant by that. I know. Maybe he's in the walls. <gasps> It was after 10 p.m. and Derek Broaddus was alone. He raced around the house, turning off lights so no one could see inside, then called the Westfield Police Department. An officer to the house read the letter and said, quote, What the fuck is this? <laughs> he asked Derek if he had enemies and recommended moving a piece of construction equipment from the back porch in case the watcher tried to toss it in through a window. Derek rushed back to his wife and kids, who were living at their old home elsewhere in Westfield. That night, Derek Marie and Maria wrote an email to John and Andrea Woods, the couple who sold them the house, to ask if they had had any idea who the watcher might be or why he or she had written, I asked the Woods to bring me young blood and it looked like they listened. Andrea Woods replied the next morning, and a few days later, a few days before moving out, the Woodses, the Woodses had also received a letter from the watcher. The note had been odd, she said, and made similar mention of the watcher's family observing the house over time. But Andrea said she and her husband had never received anything like that in their 23 years in the house and had thrown the letter away without much thought. That day, the Woodses went with Maria to the police station, where Detective Leonard Lugo told her not to tell anyone about the letters, including her new neighbors, most of whom she had never met and all of whom were now suspects. The Broadduses spent the coming weeks on high alert. Derek canceled a work trip, and whenever Maria took the kids to their new house, she would yell her names if they wandered into a corner of the yard. When Derek gave a tour of the renovation to a couple on the block, he froze when the wife said, It'll be nice to have some young blood in the neighborhood. Ugh. The Broaddus' general contractor arrived one morning to find that a heavy sign he'd hammered into the front yard had been ripped out overnight. Two weeks later, after the letter arrived, Maria stopped by the house to look at some paint samples and check the mail. She recognized the thick black lettering on a card-shaped envelope and called the police. Welcome again to your new home at 67 Boulevard, the watcher wrote. The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? 
In time, they will. What? This time, the watcher had addressed Derek and Maria directly, misspelling their names as Mr. and Mrs. Bradus. B-R-A-D-D-U-S instead of B-R-O-A-D-D-U-S. Had the watcher been close enough to hear one of the Broadus' contractors addressing them? The watcher boasted of having learned a lot about the family in the preceding weeks, especially about their children. The letter identified the Broadus' three kids by birth order and by their nicknames. I'm getting chills. What? The ones Maria had been yelling. I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often, the letter asked. The letter asked about one child in particular whom the writer had seen using an easel inside an enclosed porch. Is she the artist in the family? <laughs> He's in the walls, man. The letter continued. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds? Will the young buds play in the basement? Basement. Basement. Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedroom facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher and have been in control of the house for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Bradis family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. Oof. <sighs> yeah. Dude, this this seriously seems like some um, cult slash hereditary type thing. Yeah. Like with the, with the whole young blood thing. Like it seems like there's going to be some sort of sacrifice involved. Yeah. I don't know. Derek and Maria stopped bringing their kids to the house and they were no longer sure when or if they would move in. Several weeks later, a third letter arrived. Where have you gone to, the watcher wrote. 67 Boulevard is missing you. <laughs> so many Westfield residents compare their town to Mayberry, the idyllic setting for the Andy Griffith show. The kind of place where a new neighbor might greet you with a welcoming note. Westfield is 45 minutes from New Jersey and a bit too slow for singles, meaning the town's 30,000 residents are largely well-to-do families. This year, Bloomberg, so 2018... Uh, Bloomberg ranked Westfield the 99th richest city in America, but only the 18th wealthiest in New Jersey. And in 2014, when the watcher struck, the website Neighborhood Scout named it the country's 30th safest town. The most pressing local issues of late, according to residents, have been the temporary closure of a Trader Joe's after a roof collapse and the rampant scourge of unconstitutional policing by which they mean aggressive parking enforcement. And then it says in parentheses, Westfield is 86% white. Uh, One activities all locals recognized as treacherous is trying to buy a house. There's a lot of money and a lot of ego, one resident who requested anonymity uh, told Reeves, the writer. I've I've seen bidding wars where friends lost by $300,000. The Broadus' house was on the boulevard. 
a wide tree-lined street with some of the more desirable homes in town. As the watcher had noted, the boulevard used to be the street to live on. You made it if you lived on the boulevard. Built in 1905, 687 Boulevard was perhaps the grandest home on the block, and when the Woodses put it on the market, they had received multiple offers above their asking price. That led the Broadduses to initially suspect that the watcher might be somewhat upset over losing out on the house. The Woodses said one interested buyer had backed out after a bad medical diagnosis, while another had already found a different home. In an email to the Broadduses, Andrea Woods proposed another theory. Would the mention of the contractor trucks and your children suggest that it was someone in the neighborhood? The letters did indicate proximity. They had been processed in Kearney, the U.S. Postal Service's distribution center in northern New Jersey. The first letter was postmarked June 4th before the sale was public. The Woodses had never put up a for sale sign and only a day after the contractors arrived. The renovations were mostly interior and people who lived nearby said they didn't notice an unusual commotion, even from the jackhammering in the basement. Where Derek and Maria walked Detective Lugo around the house, they showed him that the easel on the porch was hidden from the street by vegetation, making it difficult to see unless someone was behind the house or right next door. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, the easel, remember, they mentioned, the watcher mentioned that they, one of the kids had been using the easel. Yeah. And they asked, was, is she the artist of the family? So a few days later, after the first letter, Maria and Derek went to a barbecue across the street welcoming them and another new homeowner to the block. The Broadduses hadn't told anyone about the Watcher, as the police had instructed, and found themselves scanning the party for clues while keeping tabs on their kids, who ran guileously through a crowd that made up much of the suspect pool. We kept screaming at them to stay close, Maria said. People must have thought we were crazy. At one point... Derek was chatting with John Schmidt, who lived two doors down, when Schmidt told him about the Langfords, who lived between them. Peggy Langford was in her 90s, 90s and several of her adult children, all in their 60s, lived with her. The family was a bit odd, Schmidt said, but harmless. He described one of the younger Langfords, Michael, who didn't work and had a beard like Ernest Hemingway, as kind of a Boo Radley character. Boo Radley. And as we know... Boo Radley, Doug. Please explain who Boo Radley is. That's a um. Isn't that from To Kill a Mockingbird? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I read that book. Yeah. Did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boo Radley. Isn't that also a restaurant? Boo Radley's. It's no, a it's bar a bar. In yeah. Town Mobile. Yeah. So. What was I supposed to say about? Uh, that? <laughs> you're supposed to explain who Boo Radley is. I did. Oh my god, I'm an idiot. What? I've been holding the mic backwards the whole time. <laughs> so if uh, so uh, if I've if I've sounded uh, muffled to you, I've been holding the mic the wrong way. How have I not noticed that? I don't know. I just noticed it. I think I might have to listen back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It wasn't that bad. I'll uh, I'll hold it this way yeah. the rest of the time. I apologize. So yeah. Let's get back into it. So Michael Langford, uh, the Boo Radley character, Derek thought at this point the case was solved. The Langford house was right next to the ease on the porch. <coughs> the family had lived there since the 60s when the watcher's father, the letter said, had began, begun observing 67 Boulevard. Richard Langford, the family patriarch, had died 12 years earlier, and the current watcher claimed to have been on the job for the better part of two decades. Huh. 
When the Broadduses told Lugo about the family, he said he already knew, and a week after the first letter arrived, he brought Michael Langford to police headquarters for an interview. Michael denied knowing anything about the letters, but the Broadduses said that Lugo told them that the narrative of what he said matched things mentioned in the letters. Uh, this isn't CSI Westfield, Lugo later told the Broadduses, when the wife is dead, it's the husband. Hmm. But there wasn't much hard evidence, and after a few weeks, the police chief told the Broadduses that short, that, short of an admission, there wasn't much the department could do. This is someone who threatened my kids, and the police are saying, probably nothing's going to happen, Derek said. Probably isn't, go- isn't good enough for me. After the second letter, Derek told the cops that if they didn't take care of the situation, they would have a different kind of case on their hands. This person attacked my family, and where I'm from, if you do that, you get your ass beat, Derek told Reeves. It's true. Frustrated, the Broadduses began their own investigation. Derek became especially obsessed. He set up webcams in the house and spent nights crouched in the dark, watching to see if anyone was watching the house at close range. Maria thought I was crazy, he told Reeves. Uh, recently at a coffee shop in Manhattan where he had covered a table with documents relating to the case, including copies of the letters which he and his wife had shared with only a few friends and family members. He showed me, a, he showed me Reeves, a map displaying when each of 67's neighbors had moved in. The Langsferns were the only one there since the 60s, with overlays marking possible sight lines for the easel and a circle for approximate range of earshot to estimate who might have heard Maria yelling the kids' names. Only a few homes fit both criteria. The Broadduses also turned to several experts. They employed a private investigator who staked out the neighborhood and ran a background checks on the Langfords, but didn't find anything noteworthy. Derek reached out to a former FBI agent who served as the inspiration for Clara Starling in The Silence of the Lambs. They were on a high school board of trustees together. And they also hired Robert Lenahan, another former FBI agent, to conduct a threat assessment. Uh, Lenahan recognized several old-fashioned ticks in the letters that pointed to an older writer. The envelope was addressed to M.M. Braddis. The salutations included the day's weather, warm and humid, sunny and, a cool, sunny and cool for a summer day, and the sentences had double spaces between them. Oh, I messed up my glasses. The letters had a certain literary panache, which suggested a voracious reader. And huh. a surprising lack of profanity given the level of anger, which Lenahan thought meant less macho. Maybe, he wondered, the Watcher had seen The Watcher starring Keanu Reeves as a serial killer who stalks the detective trying to catch him. Oh, interesting. Uh, Lenahan didn't think The Watcher was likely to act on the threats, but the letters had enough typos and errors to imply a certain erraticism. The first letter was dated Tuesday, June 4th, but that day was a Wednesday. There was also a seething anger directed at the wealthy in particular. The watcher was upset by new money moving into town. Are you, are you one of those Hoboken transplants who are ruining Westfield? And by the Broadus' relatively modest renovations. The house is crying from all of the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for the house when I ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old and so did my father, but he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. So the young blood... 
I think that's just is like this, is, kids. It's either that or it could be the house. You think? In its older days. Well, but like all that, all that uh, detail that those people found—that's some Sherlock shit, man. Mm-hmm. I want to watch that show again. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, what did he say? What did it, what did you just read? Where like, um, talking about he's running from because he. Oh, the watcher talks about how. Did he live in the uh, house? It cries for the past and what it what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. I ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants. So it's either he lived in the house or while it was not occupied, he would sneak in. and Or perhaps he knew people that lived there. Or that, yes. Because it says uh, the house was full of life and young blood and then it got old and so did my father. Then it got old so did my father. Keep, keep in mind, we are not even halfway through. Jesus. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. Lenahan recommended looking into former housekeepers or their descendants. Perhaps the watcher was jealous that the Broadduses had bought a home that the writer couldn't afford. But the focus remained on the Langfords. In cooperation with the Westfield police, the Broadduses sent a letter to the Langfords announcing plans to tear down the house, hoping to prompt a response. Nothing happened. Uh, Detective Lugo brought Michael Lanford in for a second time, for a second interview, but got nowhere. And his sister Abby accused the police of harassing their family. And keep in mind, all the the they're all like in their sixties. Yeah, they're all oldies. Uh, eventually, the Broadduses hired Lee Levitt, a lawyer who met with several members of the Langford family as well as their attorney, to show them the letters. Along with photos explaining how their home was one of the few vantage points from which the easel could be seen. The meeting grew tense, Levitt told Reeves, and the Langfords insisted Michael was innocent. One night, Derek had a dream in which he confronted Peggy, the eldest Langford, and demanded she build an eight-foot fence between the properties. Maria was having other kinds of dreams. One night, she woke up to an especially vivid one about a man who lived nearby, He was wearing these boots and carrying a pitchfork and calling to the kids and I couldn't get to them in time, Maria said. She thought almost anyone could be the watcher, which made daily life feel like navigating a labyrinth of threats. She probed the faces of shoppers at Trader Joe's to see if they looked strangely at her kids and spent hours Googling anyone who seemed suspicious. Huh. There were reasons to consider other suspects. For one thing, the police spoke to Michael before the second letter was sent, which would make sending two more especially reckless. The Broadduses say that Lugo told them they wouldn't receive any more letters after he spoke to Michael. Then there was the rest of the neighborhood to consider. The private investigator found two child sex offenders within a few blocks. Bill Woodward, the Broadduses house painter, had also noticed something strange. The couple behind 657 kept a pair of lawn chairs strangely close to the Broadduses' property. One day I was looking out the window and saw this older guy sitting in one of the chairs. He wasn't facing the house. He was facing the Broadduses. What? But, but by the end of 2014, the investigation had stalled. The watcher had left no digital trail, no fingerprints, and no way to place someone at the scene of the crime. That, that could have been hatched from pretty much any mailbox in northern New Jersey. Uh, the letters could be read closely for possible clues or dismissed as the nonsensical ramblings of a sociopath. It was like trying to find a needle in a haystack 
said Scott Krause, who helped investigate the case for the Union County Prosecutor's Office. In December, the Westfield police told the Broadduses they had run out of options. Derek showed the letters to his priest, who agreed to bless the home. You just said something that could be a great name for this episode. What? Needle in a haystalk. Get it? Oh. I'm writing that down. Write that down. Write that I'm writing down. that down. Write that down. God, we are... I'm smart. Write that down. Seriously. <laughs> I'm writing it down. Okay. So the renovations to 657 included a new alarm system, including a new alarm system, were finished within a few months. But the idea of moving in filled the Broadduses with overwhelming anxiety. Could they let their kids play outside or have friends over? Would they get a new letter every week? Derek priced out trained German shepherds and posted a, on a, posted a job on a website for military veterans. All you have to do is work out in the backyard every day. But the Brazes hadn't bought 67 to feel bunkered in a fortress. At the end of the day, it came down to, what are you willing to risk, Maria told Reeves. We weren't going to put our kids in harm's way. Derek had been responding to occasional alarms at the house, sometimes in the middle of the night, bringing a knife with him just in case. They were so joyous about their new home, and then within the days, within days, they were petrified, uh, Bill, the painter, said. Yeah. I'm a stranger, and Maria was crying and shaking in my arms. It didn't help that the watcher seemed to be getting more and more unhinged. So this is uh, another letter. 657 is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will bring patient. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Yet the young blood play again like, it once, like I once did. Yet the young blood sleep in 67. Stop changing it and let it alone. Stop changing. Okay, so it seems like the young blood is rotating between the house, um, the children, and I don't even know. Like, it keeps changing to me. I know. This is it's it's interesting. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah. What, what are you thinking? How are you feeling so far? I'm I'm perplexed. It's a lot of yes. It's a lot of notes. Yeah. There's so much. <laughs> Let's get into it. Uh, so the Broadduses had sold their old home at this point, so they moved in with Maria's parents while continuing to pay the mortgage and property taxes on 657. I had to do things like shovel the driveway. Derek said, "Just picture that little indignity." I'd go at 5 in the morning, then come back and do it again at my in-laws. They told only a handful of friends about the letters, which left others to ask why they weren't moving in. Legal issues, they said, and wonder if they were getting divorced. They fought constantly and started taking medication and fall asleep. I was a depressed wreck, Derek said. Maria decided to see a therapist after a routine doctor visit that began with the question, how are you, caused her to burst into tears. The therapist said she was suffering PT or post-traumatic stress that wouldn't go away until they got rid of the house. Six months after the letters arrived, the Broadduses decided to try and sell 67. They initially listed it for more than they paid to reflect the renovations they'd done, but few worlds are more gossipy than suburban New Jersey real estate. And rumors had already begun to swirl about why the house sat empty. 
One broker emailed to say her client loved it, but that there are so many unsubstantiated rumors flying around, ranging from sexual predator to stalker, that they needed to know more. The Broadus has sent a partial disclosure mentioning the letters to interested buyers and told Coldwell Banker, their realtor, that they intended to show the full letters to anyone whose offer was accepted. Several preliminary bids came in well below the asking price, but the Broadduses weren't ready to take such a financial hit and only wanted to share the letters with their likely buyers. No one got that far, even after they lowered the price. A, call, a Coldwell agent who hadn't read the letters told them in an email that they were being unnecessarily forthcoming. My friend got horrible threatening letters about her dog barking and she didn't think to disclose. But the Broadduses insisted. I don't know how you live through what we did and think you could do it to somebody else, Derek said. Derek and Maria thought about why they would have done what they would have done had the previous owners told them about their letter from the watcher. The Woodses, both retired scientists, told the Broadduses that they remembered the letter they received as more strange than threatening, thanking them for taking care of the house. They say they never had any issues. We've certainly we certainly never felt watched, Andrea told them. They rarely even locked their doors. But, water break. <laughs> Get it in. The Broadduses felt the name alone was ominous enough to merit mentioning to a new family moving in. And on June 2nd, 2015, a year after buying 657, they filed a legal complaint against the Woodses, arguing that the Woodses should have disclosed the letter just as they had the fact that water sometimes got in the basement. The Broadduses say they hope to reach a quiet settlement. Their kids di still didn't know about the Watcher, and their lawyer assured them that, as most, a small legal newswire might pick up the story. We do some creepy stories, Tamron Hall said on the, on the Today Show a few weeks later. This might be a top 10 creepy. A local reporter had found the, com the complaint, which included snippets of the Watcher's menacing threats, and after a belated attempt by the Broadduses to seal it, the story went viral. News trucks camped out at 637. One local reporter set up a lawn chair to conduct his own watch. The Broadus has got more than 300 media requests, but with advice from a crisis management consultant referred by one of Derek's colleagues, they decided not to speak publicly to spare their kids even more attention. They vacated Westfield and went to a friend's beach house. Uh, they didn't find much peace there. Maria's grandfather had a heart attack, and the friend they were staying with had a grand mal seizure. Eventually, Derek and Maria sat down with their children to explain the real reason they hadn't moved into their home. Their kids had plenty of questions. Who is the watcher? Where does this person live? Why is this person angry with us? To which Derek and Maria had few answers. Uh, Derek said, can you imagine having that conversation with a five-year-old? Your town isn't as safe as you think it is, and there's a boogeyman obsessed with you. Mm. Mm. From a safer distance... The Watcher was a real-life mystery to solve. A commentator on NJ.com suggested ground-penetrating radar to find whatever the Watcher claimed was in the walls. The home inspector had already looked and told Derek the only issue was the aging home's lack of insulation. A group of Reddit users obsessed over Google Maps Street View, which showed a car parked in front of 687 that one user thought had a man holding a camera in the driver's seat. Others more rashly saw pixelated glare. The range of proposed suspects included a jilted mistress, a spurned realtor, a local high schooler's creative writing project, guerrilla marketing for a horror movie, and mall goths having fun. Some people just thought that the Broadduses were rims for not moving in. I would never let this sicko stop me from moving into a house, never back down from a terrorist, which irked the Broadduses. None of them had have read the letters or had their children threatened by someone they didn't know, Derek said. 
To decide whether the person's only nuts enough to write these letters and not to do something. What if something did happen? Whew. What if something did happen? It's a lot. So, haven't found anything in the walls yet? No, I don't know if they're... That, like they mentioned, remember? The con- yeah. Like a contractor mentioned, or a home inspector mentioned that the only thing he found in the walls was a lack of insulation. Which that could also... Couldn't that be, um, you know, something as to how he was able to get within earshot better? Like, to hear their conversations better? Like, hear the names of the children? What do you mean? It's like, I feel like a lack of insulation could mean that the walls are thinner. And that... Oh, makes it easier for people to hear? Yeah, from outside. I guess so. So he doesn't have to be right outside the wall. He can be a little bit of ways away. I don't know. Think? That's just my guess. It holds a little bit of water. <laughs> so in Westfield, people were on edge. Lori Clancy, who teaches piano lessons in her house behind 657 Boulevard, told me one of her students came for a lesson shortly after news of the watcher broke and started bawling. She was terrified to walk down the boulevard, Clancy said. At the first Westfield Town Council meeting after the letters became public, Mayor Andy Skibitsky assured the public that the watcher hadn't been heard from in a year and that even though the police hadn't solved the case, their investigation had been exhaustive. This was news to 657's neighbors, most of whom had never heard from the cops. We are confounded as to how a thorough investigation can be conducted without talking to all the neighbors with proximity to the home, several of them wrote in a letter to the local paper. Under the glare of national attention, Baron Chambliss, a veteran detective in the Westfield Police, was asked to look at the case. The Broadduses are victims. I don't think they got the support they needed. Chambliss, who has since retired, told me recently of the initial investigation. Uh, Chambliss knew his colleagues had looked closely at Michael Langford. According to his brother Sandy Langford, Michael had been diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man. He sometimes spooked newcomers in the neighborhood when he did strange things like walk through their backyard or peek into the windows of homes that were being renovated oof but those who knew him told me that the odd things he did were mostly just unusual neighborly kindness he goes out and gets the newspaper for me every morning and john schmidt who lives next door who lives next door said he goes out and gets the newspaper for me every morning said john schmidt who lives next door there we go a lot of reading i apologize there we go People who had known Michael for decades told me that they didn't think he was capable of writing the letters. As Chambis looked into the case, he discovered something surprising. Investigators had eventually conducted a DNA analysis on one of the envelopes and determined that the DNA belonged to a woman. Chambis decided to look more closely at Abby Langford, Michael's sister who worked as a real estate agent. Was she upset about missing a commission right next door? She also worked at the local Lord and Tyler, and Shambliss coordinated with a security guard there to nab her plastic water bottle during a shift. But Shambliss says the DNA sample was on a match. Not long after, the prosecutor's office gave Derek and Maria some unexpected news. They wouldn't say why or how, but they had ruled out the Langfords as suspects. Hmm. The Broadduses at this point were stunned. They had recently told the prosecutors that they planned to file civil charges against the Langfords and wondered if the prosecutors were lying to prevent the story from blowing up again. My family moved to the boulevard in 1961, and we never caused a problem for anyone, Sandy Lamford said. This guy got all the, gets all these letters, and all of a sudden, people are pointing fingers. Left without a suspect, the Broadduses reopened their personal investigation. They were still coy about sharing 
too much with their neighbors who remained in the pool of suspects, but spent an afternoon walking the block with a picture of the watcher's handwritten envelope. They hoped someone might recognize the writing from a Christmas card, but the only notable encounter came when an older man who lived behind 67 said his son joked that the watcher sounded a little bit like him. A neighbor across the street was the CEO of Kroll, the security firm that the Broadduses hired the company hired the company to look for handwriting matches, but they found nothing. They also hired Robert Leonard, a renowned forensic linguist, and a former member of the band Shanana. I don't know why that's important. Shanana. Who didn't find any noteworthy overlap when he scoured local online forums for similarities to the Watcher's writing, although he did think the author might watch Game of Thrones. Jon Snow is one of the Watchers on the wall. At one point, Derek persuaded a friend to teach in tech to connect him to a hacker willing to try breaking into Wi-Fi networks in the neighborhood to look for incriminating documents, but doing so turned out to be both illegal and more difficult than the movies made it seem, so they didn't go through with it. It's a little Shanana tidbit for you. Wow. Thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) Chambliss and Westfield police were also back at square one. The cops asked Andrea Woods for a DNA sample and interviewed her 21-year-old son, who was surprised to find that suddenly he seemed to be a suspect. A year after the fact, it was hard to find fresh leads, and the initial police canvas had been so porous that it had missed a significant clue. Around the same time that the Broadduses had received their first letter, another family on the boulevard got a similar note from the Watcher. The parents of that family had lived in their house for years and the kids were grown, so they threw the letter away just as the Woodses had. But after the news broke, one of their children posted about it on Facebook, then deleted the post. When investigators spoke to the family, they confirmed that the letter had been similar to the Broadduses, but its existence only made the case more confusing. There wasn't a whole lot going on, Chambliss said. One night, Chambliss and a partner were sitting in the back of a van parked on Boulevard, watching the house through a pair of binoculars. Around 11 p.m., a car stopped in front of the house long enough for Chambliss to grow suspicious. He says he traced the car to a young woman in a nearby town whose boyfriend lived on the same block as 657. The woman told Chambliss her boyfriend was into some really dark video games, including, in Chambliss's memory, one in which... He was playing a specific character, the Watcher. As for the female DNA, Chambliss figured the girlfriend or someone else could have helped. The boyfriend was living elsewhere at the time, but Chambliss says he agreed to come in for an interview on two separate occasions. He didn't show up either time. Chambliss didn't have enough evidence to compel him to appear, and with the media attention dying down, he dropped the case and moved on. Well, that, that seems like that could be a pretty good lead. Yeah. That's kind of dumb. Detectives. Okay, I think we're close to being done. Okay, I say close, and we, uh... We're not. Is this going to have to be a twofer? Uh, no. Well, actually, I don't think. Let's just keep going. <sighs> this, this is a, interesting. This is a, this is a, a, a journey. We hope you guys are enjoying it, if you're still listening. Oh, my laptop has low battery. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll get through it. Yeah, I got to pay attention to it. 
While the Broadduses continued to be consumed by the stress and fear, for the rest of Westfield, the story became little more than a creepy urban legend. A house to walk by on Halloween if you were brave enough. What was that? There's hair on your laptop. Thank you. No one who lived who had lived in the house before the Woodses could recall anything unusual, and it was hard for people to imagine that their idyllic neighborhood could be host to something so sinister. <clears throat> A woman who lives nearby told me that after the news broke, she and ten or so of her neighbors had gathered in the street to puzzle out who might have sent the letters. Eventually, she said, they came to a consensus. Maybe the Broadduses had sent the letters to themselves. The, seri- the theory, so far as it went, was that the... Not you, Siri. Siri <laughs> activated. Dude. Why was she listening? The theory We're being watched. was that the Broadduses had suffered buyer's remorse or realized that they couldn't afford the home or and concocted an elaborate scheme to get out of the sale. Or Derek was cooking up some kind of insurance fraud. Or they were angling for a movie deal. The Broadduses received several offers but turned them down. Lifetime eventually released a movie called The Watcher despite a cease and desist letter from the Broadduses arguing that the couple in its home was biracial and the letters were signed The Raven. The Raven. Some locals found it noteworthy that over the course of a decade, the Broadduses had upgraded from a $315,000 house to a $770,000 to a $1.3 million one and refinanced their mortgages. A few weeks after the letters became public, the Westfield Leader published an article in which anonymous neighbors were quoted asking why the Broadduses kept renovating a home they weren't moving into or questioning whether they had really done that much renovating at all. The leader even cast doubt on Maria's commitment to her family's safety, citing as evidence the fact that she had a public Facebook page with a photo of her kids. Paper did not did note that the police had tested Maria's DNA and it didn't match. <laughs> None of the theories made much logical sense. The Broadduses had answers to every question. How does someone go from a three hundred grand house to a one point three million house in ten years? He said, quote, It's America. But they weren't speaking publicly and the rumors persisted. One resident wrote a letter to the editor arguing that an elaborate scheme is underway to defraud the Woods family of millions of dollars. Chambliss said that some Westfield cops even bought into the theory. There were even more skeptics online. Quote, I live in a neighboring town. If these letters had been happening for a while, there is no doubt in my mind that it would have been made public way before this. Lord Flutternutter said on Reddit, this screams scam. This guy. He was in the last article. <laughs> Shout out to Lord Flutternutter. Yeah, but Lord Flutternutter came up much quicker than uh, this one. Like, he was, like, in sort of the middle of the article in that one. He's, I don't even know where we are in this one. Towards the end, I think. Okay. <laughs> the Broadduses hadn't known how their neighbors would react to news about the Watcher, but they had lived in the area for a decade, and Maria's family had been a part of the community for much longer, so it was shocking to find themselves being accused of con artists. To Derek, it seemed that some in Westfield preferred the conspiracy theory to considering whether their town might be some, might be home to a menace. There's a natural tendency to say, I've lived here for 35 years, nothing's happened to me. What happened to my family is an affront to their contention that they're safe, that there's no such thing as mental illness in their community. People don't want to believe this could happen in Westfield. There's no such thing as mental illness in their community? What happened to my family is an affront to their contention that they're safe. Oh, people are saying that. People are saying that there's nothing wrong with this community. Well, that's that's what, kind of... That's what people are saying about like what Derek and his wife are supposedly, okay. quote-unquote, doing. Huh. 
So while Maria looks back fondly on her childhood, she was born a few years after Westfield resident John List infamously murdered his wife, mother, and three children in their home. And remembers a period when she and other kids were warned to look out for a strange van driving around town. My mother always told me don't have a false sense of security. It wasn't that bad things were going on all the time. It was that bad things happen everywhere. She didn't want me to think that it was Mayberry. Many locals... Uh, Reeves spoke to did seem more concerned that the national press might ruin Westfield's good name. Some were primarily worried about arson or vandalism or whether the Broadduses would maintain the lawn. They did. These neighbors are kind of pricks. Yeah. Mark Logrippio, the neighborhood's representative on the Westfield Town Council, told me the primary concern he heard from residents was that they were worried about their property value and the stigma of the neighborhood. What a bunch of douches. It's all about that money and their reputation. It's kind of stupid. It is. So the broad- kind of makes oh. me feel like uh, it sort of gives like the Broadduses that sense of like helplessness. Like, yeah, the really, like, neighbors are turning Yeah, on Yeah, and so it's like, oh, what, what can we do now? Like nobody's listening to us. Oh, next line. The Broadduses were suddenly outcasts, not only from their home but also their town. Derek wanted to leave Westfield, but Maria insisted on not uprooting her kids. This person took so much from us, Maria said. I wouldn't let them take more. Two years after the Watcher's letters arrived, the Broadduses borrowed money from family members to buy a second home in Westfield using an LLC to keep the location private. But staying in town was stressful. The first time Maria let her daughter go to the pool with friends, she stared at the tracker on her daughter's iPhone the whole time. One of their kids was in language arts class when the teacher led a debate about whether the family in a book they were reading should move to Westfield. The class thought they should, in part, because of how safe it was. Afterward, one of the kids told the broadest child, My parents told me that no matter what your family says, Westfield is safe. What a little cunt. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid little shit. Meanwhile, the broadest still had to figure out what to do with 657 Boulevard. Their lawsuit was pending, but seemed unlikely to succeed. Some states require sellers to disclose transient social conditions, like murders or possible hauntings. In a 1991 case involving an allegedly ghost-filled house, a New York court ruled that, as a matter of law, the house is haunted. But New Jersey had no such regulation. That's a thing? Apparently. Huh. A judge later dismissed the lawsuit. The Woodses, through their attorney, declined to comment for this story. Derek looked into renting the house to the Department of Veterans Affairs and a company that runs halfway homes. In the spring of 2016, they put 657 back on the market, hoping it might garner more interest given how many people had reacted to the letters by saying that they would have ignored them and just moved in. The Broadduses held a well-attended open house, after which Derek and Maria spent hours researching every person who signed in and comparing their handwriting to the watchers. But each time a potential buyer expressed interest and met with the Broadduses' lawyer to read the letters, they backed out. Some cocky guy from Staten Island said, Fuck it, I'm going to get a house at a discount, Derek recalled. He reads the letters and we never heard from it. Oh, yeah, we never hear from him again. Feeling as if they were out of options, the Broadduses' real estate lawyer proposed an idea. Sell the house to a developer who would tear it down and split the property into two sellable homes. They thought they could get $1 million for the lot. Subdivisions like this had become common in Westfield, much to the chagrin of many locals, and 687 was one of the neighborhood's largest lots. Even so, dividing it would require the Westfield Planning Board to grant an exception. The two smaller lots would be 67.4 and 67.6 feet wide, just shy of the mandated 70. 
When the proposal was publicly announced, Westfield's Facebook groups lit up. Some expressed sympathy for the Broadduses, while others pointed out real estate is always a gamble. Another faction was convinced this was the culmination of a long con. Out of this whole scam artist story, there ends up being nothing more than disturbing the nothing more disturbing than this move, a local woman said. A man who coached the Broadus' son at football wrote, They were in over their head from day one. The application was drawing for the neighbors who had learned about the watcher from a lawsuit, and had always found it strange that the Broadus' didn't share more information, not seeming to understand that they were following orders from the police and trying to protect their kids. A typical Facebook conversation went like this one. Sounds like this whole watcher thing was a ploy. The owners are good people, not a ploy. Okay, I know nothing about them. <laughs> Kristen Kemp, a friend of the Broadduses, had tried to defend them on Facebook forum, but people started attacking her. Somebody asks, how do we know it's not you writing the letters, Kemp said. Dude, everybody's turning on everybody. I know. Maybe that's what mm. maybe that's what the watcher wanted. He started off attacking this family. He just likes seeing And he like, wants it's you know it's from the Batman movie. Mm-hmm. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Mm-hmm. You think it's just like I think it's someone that just gets ha- just wanted to mess with people. Yeah, and gets off on, you know, people fighting each other, people going against each other and all that. And th- th- this really shows like what people really care about cuz like it's the neighbors you know aren't really being neighborly they're only caring about their own like being douchely yeah and they're only caring about oh my property value is going to go down because of this bullshit i don't care if your kids are in danger like it just it really shows how shallow yeah and like how sort of humanity is yeah we suck (laughs) we really suck uh, so when the planning board met to decide the application in January 2017, it had already devoted a three-hour hearing to the issue. More than 100 residents showed up. One of them, who lived across the street and had a daughter in the same grade as one of the Broadus' kids, had retained a lawyer to fight the proposal. Here was a new suspect. Who but the watcher would go so far as to hire an attorney to preserve the house? After a quick discussion about a Wells Fargo branch that wanted to use brighter light bulbs in the town allowed... The room grew as tense as suburban planning board meetings get. James Forst, the Broadus' attorney, explained that the three-foot exemption was as narrow as the easel he was using to display a map of the neighborhood, a map that showed several lots on the block that were also too small. The neighbors expressed concern that the plan might require knocking down trees and that the new homes would have aesthetically unpleasant front-facing garages. Forst repeatedly threatened... those garages. I know. (laughs) Forrest repeatedly threatened the halfway house as a possible alternative. After the lawyers, a parade of of neighbors stood to speak. Glenn DeMont from across the street said the proposal would spell the end of the 600 block of Boulevard as we know it. What? A woman whose kids had been to the Broadus' old home for a birthday party spoke on behalf of nine neighbors and presented 637 as Westfield's Alamo. Our neighborhoods are constantly other under attack from turf, lights, parking decks, you name it, she said. If we can't make a stand on Boulevard, where can we? At one point, Abby Langford stood up to say she had spent almost 60 years looking at a magnificent, beautiful house and didn't want to be looking out at a driveway. The hearing lasted four hours, during which there was little discussion of the reason the Broadduses had been driven to tear down their home in the first place. Has anybody thought about whether or not this lunatic 
who did this has been apprehended, said Tom Higgins, who lived across the street, towards the end of the hearing. Even so, Higgins pointed out that there was no guarantee the watcher wouldn't send letters to the two new houses and argued that aesthetics should rule the day. Putting up two houses there is going to stick out like an old client of mine in Texas told me, Higgins said. It's going to stick out like a dog's balls. That's true. Hmm. <laughs> While some of the neighbors expressed compassion, their focus remained on what the Broadduses stood to gain financially and what they themselves might lose. At 11.13 p.m., the board unanimously rejected the proposal. A New Jersey judge later denied the Broadduses' appeal of the decision. Derek and Maria were distraught. Even if the plan had gone through, it would have only stanched their financial bleeding. On top of the mortgage and renovations, they had paid around $100,000 in Westfield property taxes. The town denied their request for relief and spent at least the, that amount investigating the watcher and exploring ways to deal with the home, not to mention cleaning the gutters. The Broadduses recognized that 67 was a beautiful house on a beautiful street that was worth maintaining, but were surprised their neighbors didn't see the uniqueness of the situation. This is my town, Maria told me. Told Maria said, I grew up here. I came back. I chose to raise my kids here. You know what we've been through. You had the ability two and a half years into a nightmare to make it a little better. And you have decided that this house is more important than we are. That's really how it felt. On top of all that, her dad had recently died. Unexpectedly. Uh, so Father Michael... Father Michael Saparito, the priest who blessed the house, went to one of the planning board meetings and told Reeves he was taken aback by how many people had come up to him and said they thought the whole thing was a hoax. I think the human element of the story was kind of lost on the neighbors, Saparito said. The watcher had expressed a desire to protect the boulevard from change, but instead it had been torn apart. Not long after the planning board's decision, the Broadduses got some good news. A family with a grown children and two big dogs had agreed to rent 67. The renter told the Star Ledger he wasn't worried about the watcher, though he had a clause in the lease that told him to let him out in case of another letter. Two weeks later, Derek went to 67 with with squirrels that had taken up residence in the to deal with squirrels that had taken up residence in the roof. The renter handed him an envelope that had just arrived. Violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife Maria. This letter, two and Wench. a half. Yeah, damn. This letter, two and a half years after the watcher appeared, came out of nowhere. It was dated February thirteenth, the day the Broadduses gave depositions in their lawsuit against the Woodses. You wonder who the watcher is. Turn around, idiots. The reader, the letter read. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the watcher could be, or maybe you do know me. You do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. The letter was less stylish and more wraithful than the others, and it seemed that the writer had been closely following a story. They had seen the media coverage. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. Uh, I watched as you watched from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars and our wonderful inventions. 67 survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657. Beloved bulo, and they carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the watcher. Dude, okay. This guy has tactics to his mm-hmm. strategy. Cuz he 
he has been because he i mean he is the watcher so he's been keeping up with all that's been happening so he's using their sort of sense that everybody's against him against them it's like he's now saying that they're his army and they're protecting the street and like trying to keep it the way it is keeping that young blood so to speak mm-hmm. uh the renter so this guy's this guy's smart yeah the letter the but renter was mentioned in the evil letter. he was spooked but agreed to stay if the broadest is installed cameras around the house and the letter indicated revenge could come in many forms Maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet, loved ones suddenly die, planes and cars and bicycle crashes, bones break. That, that's kind of creepy because at this point Maria's dad died like a yeah, few months ago. Yeah. Unexpectedly. Well, so, I mean, this guy, he, he took control early on. And I mean, he's he did that. Angry. He did that by using like fear. what seemed like yeah, fear, like idle threats to display his dominance, so that I mean, maybe they do know who it is, but they just don't want to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hell, it's it was like scary. it was back at the beginning. Maria said, but it was also it, but it also meant fresh evidence that might help invigorate the investigation. <clears throat> Derek took the letter to police headquarters where a detective looked at a neighborhood map and traced a circle around the, the house 300 yards in diameter, suggesting the watcher must be somewhere in there. Derek drew one much closer. In my view, it's one of the ten houses in the world, he said. The Broadduses continued to press the case, but there, were still, but there still wasn't much for law enforcement to go on, and it was possible to look up and down the street and see the watcher in practically anyone. Residents mentioned to Reeves a teenager whose father had grown up around the corner and a man who sometimes walked around the neighborhood playing a flute. An elderly couple behind the house had been there for 47 years. The husband was the man Bill Woodward, the painter from earlier, had seen sitting in a lawn chair looking at the Broadus' house. One of their kids had married a man who grew up in, of all places, 657 Boulevard. But these were bits of information that could mean everything or nothing, depending on how hard you looked at them. The Broadduses sent new names to the investigators whenever they found something odd, but their greatest fear was that the Watcher could be someone they never suspect. One day last spring, Derek picked up Reeves, again, the writer of this whole article, up at the Westfield train station. We drove past 657, which he and Maria tried to avoid unless they had to pick up the tax bill. It's all beautiful trees and beautiful houses, but all I feel is anxious, Derek said. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night thinking, what would my life be like if this didn't happen? We lost Christmas a couple times, and you don't get that back. Christmas with a five-year-old. The Broadduses no longer live in ever-present fear that the Watcher might strike at any moment, but they continue to deal with the lingering effects from the letters. They have a new tenant at 67, but the rent doesn't cover the mortgage. The kids are occasionally teased at school, and they can... and the conspiratorial rumors persist. They try to avoid the people who spoke out against their planning board application or accuse them of being con artists, but suburban life makes that impossible. I see these people on the soccer field at the train station and my heart starts going like it did when I played hockey and was about to get in a fight, Derek said. When Maria found herself in a spin class at the YMCA with the head of the planning board, she went up afterward and told him, you continue to hurt my family every day. Hmm. That's a bad bitch. Get right it. There. Get that's it. A, that's a bad bitch. 
she she ain't to be fucks with. Uh uh-uh. uh. Earlier this year, <laughs> <laughs> just completely get right back yeah. into it. <laughs> it's that transition. Yeah, it's called a segue, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Learn about it. Earlier this year, the planning board approved splitting a lot around the corner that required an even larger exception than the Broadduses. Hmm. Most people in Westfield told. Reeves, they rarely thought of the watcher anymore. The real estate market was doing fine, for one. <clears throat> and many were surprised to find out the Broadduses were still dealing with the problem. Hindsight made Derek and Maria wonder if they should have sold the house at a loss early on, and 67 conjured too much emotional pain for them to even consider moving in. They hoped that a few years of renting the place without incident will help them sell it. The prosecutor's office was continuing its investigation, and, but the Broadduses knew it was unlikely the Watcher would ever be caught and that the legal punishment would likely be minimal. The Watcher was also no longer the only person sending anonymous letters in Westfield. Last Christmas... Ow. You good? I fell. <laughs> Ow, my foot. <laughs> was that me? No, that was me. <laughs> Last Christmas Eve, several families received an envelope in their mailboxes. They'd been delivered by hand to the homes of people who had been the most vocal in criticizing the Broadduses online. One of them, who lived a few blocks down on Westfield, had written on Facebook, I wish we could go back to the days of tar and feathers. I have just the couple in mind. Another family who got the letter told me it was weirdly poetic, as the Watchers had been, and that it accused the families of speculating inaccurately about the Broadduses. It included several stories about recent acts of domestic terrorism in which signs of brewing mental illness had gone unnoticed. The type letters were signed, Friends of the Broadest Family. Okay, so we got some bad letters and good letters. Apparently. All right. So the not le- everybody's against them. Yeah. The letter author had clearly been infected not only with the Watcher's penchant for anonymous notes, but also a simmering resentment, one that had snaked its way through Westfield, making enemies of neighbors. The people who received the letters didn't know who sent them, but the tone had a familiar ring to them. When I asked Derek whether he had written them, he paused for a moment, then admitted he had. He wasn't proud of it. He hadn't even told his wife and said they were only the anonymous letters he'd written. But he had felt driven to his wits end, fed up with the watching silently as people threw accusations at his family based on practically nothing. One of the people who received the letter told me they had never met the Broadduses and had no interest in doing so. The Watcher had been obsessed with 657, and Derek, in turn, had become obsessed with the Watcher and everything the letters had set in motion. It's like cancer, he said. We think about it every day. Sitting at the Westfield train station, Derek handed me his phone so I could read the fourth letter. You are despised by the house, it read, and the Watcher won. That's it. Huh. Dude, that's some that's some creepy stuff, man. That really makes you think, like, if this was happening to you and your family, like how your neighbors would react and how yeah. they would treat you afterwards. There, there's a couple neighbors. I'm going to close this out. Just I mean, if you're really close with your neighbors, you'd think that they'd stick by you, but they were new na- like they were new to the neighborhood, so they pretty much started off with no friends. Uh, yeah, but, she, but like, like Maria was from the area. Yeah, that's true. So that's... So, so, yeah, that's the watcher. She also had that good point. It's like, I grew up here. I chose to come back here and raise my kids here. It's like, why don't y'all treat me yeah. the way I want to be? Like, why don't y'all that help me? Why don't y'all protect me? Shitty. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah um, more updates on the watcher. Uh, 
they're making uh, I want to say a Netflix movie. Dude, there's some pretty good Netflix originals out there. I think this one might be good. I mean, yeah, I want to say they're watching a, a uh, not. I mean, I'm sure if I, if that was happening to me, I wouldn't. Unless I was getting money, I wouldn't want you know to rewatch something that's been happening to me for five years. Yeah. Uh, let me see if there was. I saw. Oh, here it is. Uh, the terrifying true story of the Watcher House is being made into a Netflix movie. Um, yeah, let me see. Article apparently the real life horror. There's no word on when it's expected to drop. Oh, it's uh, it's Henry Juiced and Ariel Schumann who did Paranormal Activity three and Catfish are attached to direct it. Uh, so yeah, that's that's it. So Paranormal far. Activity three wasn't that good. That's from uh December sixth of twenty eighteen. That is like. There's no updates anymore besides that it's being made into a movie. I don't think they've gotten any more letters. If they did, I'm sure uh, it would have said something. Yeah. So. I mean, this guy from the start had pretty much total control over what seems this whole neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you... What would you say... I mean, who, at, who, that, that last article, the first article you read, it really made me seem like it was just fake. This one, I don't know. This one was way better. Yeah. So who would you, in your mind, who do you think the Watcher is? I mean, at first I thought it was, what was the guy, uh, the old guy? Oh, Michael Langford. Yeah, with the schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. I mean, he seems like a prime suspect. But then also the girl's boyfriend who plays the dark video games. They didn't even even go into that. Like, they didn't even. they They didn't have enough evidence. And they mentioned, um. The people, the people that lived behind the house with the lawn chairs. Yeah, that old guy they watching the house. That like, they he had grown up in the house. Really? Yeah. Okay, so he was okay. He was the one that. Grew, and he okay. was, yeah. He he had mentioned that he. Okay, was so that now that in the house, so it could have been him. To me, well. he's a prime suspect now. But yeah, they they still don't know to this day. Almost. Uh, like six years later, almost five years later at this point. Yeah, like five years in June. Yeah. So five years and five years and literally a few days because it's June first. So and they still have no clue who it is. Damn. So I, I, I honestly, I have no idea who it could be. Well, I mean, he hasn't acted on any of those threats that we know of. Yeah, it could just be someone that's just like. Although her dad, maybe. That'd, I mean, that'd be crazy. That would be crazy. Yeah, I've, there's no telling who it is. So, yeah, it's an was, open open case. That was a journey, but uh, we, we got did it. it. We I, did. I, it. I really liked I it. Liked I thought it. it was very interesting. Again, if you want to read that on your own or do your own research, just type in the Watcher House, and the website was uh, thecut.com. Both those can be found online. Yeah. So, and yeah, if you have any theories, or if you have any stories, again, we haven't mentioned this for a while, but if you have anything that you want us to talk about on the podcast, feel free to email us, DM us, anything like that, and we and, uh, love to share it. Figure out who uh, your good neighbors are. Yeah. Trust your good neighbors. Yeah. And then... They'll trust you back. Yeah. Don't do creepy letters, though, because that'll just... That, that's that's weird. We're not looking to read another story about it. We will personally come to your house and kick your ass. I won't. Douglas will. I mean, I'll try. I don't... Douglas, where um where can they stay up to date with us on social media? Um, MySpace.com at um, XX forward slash... Night Swims backslash uh, Colin podcast. 
XX. Did I get that right? Was it three X's or just two X's? You forgot the Z. Oh, yeah, there's a Z. Night swims. Yeah, that's right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Right, <laughs> Nightswims.podcast well, on Instagram. Yeah. At, at Nightswims.podcast. At Nightswims.podcast on Instagram. That is at N I G H T S S W I M S dot period dot podcast. And if you don't know how to spell podcast, uh, should go back to college or high school but yeah that's our show Hmm. and uh thank you for that wonderful topic thank you thank you for uh this wonderful thank you for this wonderful studio thank you for this thank Thank you for this creaky table uh happy saturday happy saturday douglas will I found a cool picture, so uh, hopefully yeah. we'll record on on time next week. Well, we're we're gonna start pre-recording yeah. stuff, so we'll we'll be on time from yeah. now on. We will. So, oh, crap. Uh, we will see. You hopefully, later. we keep that. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, we keep that promise. Love you all. Love you.